This comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verses, verse 3. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Please be seated. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this Sunday. Amen. Amen. As Pastor Travis said, my name is Chris. I serve as one of the pastors for Reform University Fellowship at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Grateful to be with you all here in uh, Boston this weekend. I invite you to meet me in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, and before we look at the passage that Pastor Travis just read, uh, will you pray with me once more? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this Sunday. Lord God, we come to you with many things on our hearts, on our minds, and I ask that you would center our focus and our desires on you. Lord, I ask that you would encourage those who are discouraged, that you would bring hope and light uh, to those who are in uh, dark seasons of life. God, I pray that you would encourage us and point us forward in Christ. Lord Jesus, we need you, and we praise you, and we thank you for your grace and your invitation to come and hear your word and be grown in you. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for your word on love that you give us from this passage in 1 Peter. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago, it was Dr. Carl Menninger a noted doctor and psychologist who was seeking the cause of many of his patients' ills. One day he gathered his clinical staff and proceeded to unfold a plan for developing an atmosphere of creative love. All patients were to be given large quantities of love. No, no unloving attitudes were to be displayed in the pre presence of patients. And all nurses and doctors were to go about their work in and out of the various rooms with a loving attitude. The findings, at the end of six months, the time spent by patients in the institution was cut in half. Because how many of us know that love is transformative? Love has the unmatched ability not only to conform, but transform. Love, it, it brings healing to a wounded heart. Love can, can renew aching bones and revive tired muscles. And we're living in a time where many humans desire to be transformed, to be changed. Many of us made vision boards and New Year's resolutions for changed. Many of us have set goals for ourselves and long to improve and arrive at the best representation of ourselves. Spouses may want a few of their significant other's habits to change. 
Parents may want their children's shenanigans at school to change. But what's often forgotten is that true transformation must come on the backside of real love. But church family, can I, can I give you the good news of the Christian faith up front? Through the love of Jesus in the gospel, you and I have been transformed. We've been made new. We're a new creation in Christ. Through the love of Jesus, we've been graced with new identity. Through the love of Jesus, we've been called to new gospel activity. And if you look around the room through the love of Jesus, you've been born into a new community. We're now members of the covenant family of God, the fellowship of believers. But it begs the question, how are we who have been transformed by the gospel supposed to now live in this gospel-believing family? Well, truly, this is, this is what Peter addresses in his first letter to the churches of the dispersion. Remember, Peter is writing to a group of Christians known as elect exiles. They've been rejected by the world, but, but elected by the Father. And Peter writes to encourage, despite being sojourners in society, you're God's chosen instrument to bring the good news to the nations. Like you and I, these Christians have been chosen and loved by God, ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. They've been pulled from all different backgrounds and now brought under the banner of the one Lord Jesus. They're members of God's own family. And this new status in God's family now should lead to some new habits in God's family. Therefore, while Peter wrote in verses 13 through 19 about the church's conduct in the public square, in our passage today, he shifts his focus to our conduct in relation to one another. Peter is concerned with our witness outside the four walls of the church, but does not want us to become laxed in our love inside the church. As the family of God, we're called to live distinct, faithful lives for Christ as we await and anticipate our heavenly reward. How, how are we who have been transformed by the gospel supposed to live in this gospel-believing family? Well, this text teaches us that our transformation in Christ should lead to genuine and lasting love for one another. In our passage this morning, Peter shows us the importance of real love. And he opens by telling you and me, since we've been cleansed by the gospel, we ought to show genuine love to brothers and sisters who share in the gospel. Just the verse before 23, Peter opens up, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So in the very first verse of the passage, Peter gives you and me shout-worthy news that, that as God's people who have been wonderfully loved by the Lord, our souls have been purified. The word purified, it, it has rich biblical history and imagery. To purify paints the picture of being cleansed, refined, set apart from former impurity, and devoted to God himself. To purify means to, to become morally pure, to remove contaminants and make anew. 
And Peter wants you and I to know here at the beginning of the passage that by our obedience to the truth, the good news of Christ, we have already purified and cleansed our souls from past impurity. We've been given a new heart. We've been given a clean soul. And this is beautiful because does anyone remember your heart before you met Jesus? Before you obeyed the gospel, our, all of our hearts were filled with impure motives, sinful desires, harmful lusts, and selfish ambition. Prior to following Jesus, the way we spoke and felt towards other humans was partial and prideful. But when we heard that good news, that we were dead in trespasses and sins, following the ways of the world. But out of the abundant mercy of God, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to give his life for us on the cross and resurrect on the third day in order to forgive us and reconcile us back to the Father. When we submitted to that truth and placed our faith in him for salvation, our souls were purified. By the grace of God, his word has cleansed us. The gospel has changed us. The gospel has transformed our minds, our desires and actions. The gospel has reoriented our lifestyle. And often the belief is that if I just dig down deep enough and try harder and work more diligently, I will be capable of renewing my life. But may we in the church be the first to admit that we did try harder. And if we could clean ourselves, we would have done it in 2005. Though it has only been the love of God poured into our souls that has cleansed our souls, changed our hearts, and transformed our lives. Is there anybody grateful this morning that you're not the same human that you used to be? Is there anybody grateful that you now have a clean soul? Anybody who will praise Jesus this morning that by your obedience to the gospel, you now have a clean heart. And this purpose of this purification, Peter says, is that we would have sincere love for one another, a sincere brotherly love, that the gospel would push us, compel us to love one another deeply with the love of Christ. You see, transformation in Christ is not only for personal holiness or merely having a nicer looking family, but Christian living is incomplete if we are not changed in how we view and treat fellow believers. For it was our Lord himself who taught us, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And likewise, John the beloved disciple said, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Therefore, because God our Father is love and, and we're recipients of the greatest love of all expressed in the gospel, God has positioned you and me to model to our city what true love looks like. Furthermore, since we're members of God's family, there are familial obligations that come with it, including sincere love in the community of faith. Thus, Peter gives the charge. Having prepared yourselves to love, love one another deeply from your new heart inside the four walls of the church, in your community, in your home, love one another. 
Love each other fully and rightly as the brothers and sisters that you are. This, this love includes cultivating affection for one another and loving action towards each other. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Be devoted and loyal to one another. As one commentator wrote, Nobody knows the importance of community better than exiles living in a foreign land. For community, it gives refuge, strength, and identity. Therefore, for support in here and mission to our neighbors, we, we must follow Jesus' example by truly loving each other. And while the call to love one another can become familiar, Peter names two distinctives of our love that can easily be neglected, yet are crucial for us as a missional community. First, our love is to be sincere. Having purified your souls for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. To love sincerely is to let it be genuine, real, authentic, without hypocrisy or pretense. We know that pretense is attempting to make something that is not true appear that it is, which is what Jesus often preached against in the Pharisees and the scribes. But Peter says that our love ought to be without pretense. Our love is to be without play acting or pretending because, because Peter knows that even as the redeemed people of God, we know where to love each other, though it can be easy for our love to become automated instead of sincere. We know cognitively we're supposed to love without truly loving each other. We desire to be known by others as loving and will say nice, loving Christian phrases, do loving actions, will throw on our nice Christian loving face before church with, without having real love in our hearts for those around us. And so we end up loving out of obligation for our reputation instead of gospel transformation. It becomes fake for our own gain instead of from a pure heart. The story is told of Marie, a young woman who had recently broken off her engagement with her fiancé. A short while after the breakup, she wrote this letter of lament to her ex. Excuse me while I get into character. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking off our engagement. Please take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you, Jimmy, yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning that state lottery. <laughs> Friends, this is not sincere love. But Peter pushes you and me towards love that is real. Love that is not only in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Thus the question this morning becomes, is your love for people authentic? Is it for real or is it for your reputation? Has Jesus actually transformed the way that you love others? Peter tells us our love is to be sincere. However, our love is also to be earnest. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is a tough one. Earnest speaks to the depth of our love, 
and the duration of our love. Our love in the church ought to be strenuous and deep. There has to be some effort. But in the same way, it should be constant and enduring until the end. Our love should be strong in adversity and unmoved by circumstances. This is what Paul meant when he said, bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Surely, earnest and constant love in the Christian community is extremely hard, as we all have experienced. Like any relationship, there's struggle and strife. There's pain requiring much hard work. And because of this, people who belong in the community have become tired and and would rather distance themselves from the communal aspect of the Christian faith because of these hard relationships. I'm on the college campus, so I see it every day. But Peter reminds you and me that what will enable us to love one another earnestly is seeing ourselves as the family that we are, brothers and sisters in the Lord. When we recall that we've been brought into the family of God, because families, as hard as life is sometimes, do not give up on each other when seasons get rough. A family continues to love through the pains and challenges of life because they understand that they're tied to one another. This is the love we're to have in God's family. As a parent who would never give up on your child, extend just the measure of that same faithfulness to your church family. To my young people with siblings, I have a younger sister. We're two and a half years apart. My entire life, I have heard, Chris, stop touching my stuff. Now you're in my personal space, poking me when I don't want to be poked. And you just want to say, ah. (laughs) But even after you argue and get annoyed with your sibling, at the end of the day, aren't you all still family? May we have the same love for our family in the church. Earnest love. Constant love for one another. Who in the Christian community can you work towards loving better? Because if the gospel has truly purified your heart, you can love your brothers and sisters earnestly, for this love is essential to the cohesion and mission of the church. But where does this love come from, you ask? And in such difficult times as we're in today, how is this deep love even possible? Well, Peter goes on to tell us that Christian love lasts, that lasts forever comes from the word of God, which lasts forever. Verse 23, we pick it up. Peter says, love one another since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter explains that we are able to show genuine and lasting love towards one another as a result of our new birth in the faith. As Christians, we've been born again. Ah, that's such a fun word. Regenerated, given spiritual rebirth. Thus, our love is a byproduct of this rebirth. We're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. Not not only have we been born again, but, but Peter says we've been born again by a seed that lasts forever. Not a perishable seed that's subject to decay, but one that is imperishable, eternal, permanent. It keeps on going. And this seed is the living and abiding word of God. God's word has given us new life in Christ. God's word is what empowers us to love each other. The, The word is enduring. It stands over culture. It outlasts worldly powers and human glory. 
And to illustrate this point, Peter, he goes all the way to quoting the prophet Isaiah in verses 24 and 25, where he says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. As one scholar put it, Peter quotes Isaiah to contrast the frailty of human nature with the permanence of God's word. All people means all humanity. Every person are like grass. They're here for a season and then are gone. All their glory refers to human beauty and fame and splendor. As the grass withers and the flowers fall, so humans' glory and greatness quickly disappear. Peter's words here are important because remember, they're they're Christians who are discouraged and despondent at the social situations that surround them. They're foreigners in a city that is not their own, outcasts in a non-Christian society where the power, the glory, the status of culture seems like it will last forever. But Peter reassures them that humanity is frail. Like the flower of grass, the glory, the power, the achievements and accolades of our surroundings will not remain. But they're on borrowed time. Therefore, believers ought to hold fast to the eternal word that will remain the gospel. And so it is with you and me this morning. There are realities in our culture that discourage us. Trials and troubles in our own lives that seem as if they'll last forever. For it was the urban apologetic, J. Cole, he, he rapped this, the bad news is nothing lasts forever, and the good news is nothing lasts forever. What a bar. But might I submit to you that there is one thing that will last forever, one thing that will remain, one thing that when everything falls and fails, it still holds all of its power. It is the living and abiding word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus And since the gospel remains forever, we who have been born anew will not fade, but will remain forever as well. We have eternal life in the Lord. Christ will be faithful to save us at his return. So so we ought to love one another because we've been born again by God's word, which stands forever. Now, how exactly do we live this out? How How can we become the kind of church that practices sincere and lasting love towards one another. Well, Peter moves and calls us to cast, uh, cast off the sins that inhibit love and yearn for the gospel that grows our love. Verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2 read, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter says, in order to have sincere and lasting love among fellow believers, it requires that we reject, literally get rid of, take off like a garment, all the actions that inhibit love in the community. Notice, Peter lists not the grosser vices of Boston but the destroyers of church community, the spoilers of church community. Each one addresses our relationships, ways that are antithetical to the love Peter has just outlined in verse 22. Malice, using your words to inflict pain on someone else, it destroys fellowship. Deceit, 
speaking with ulterior motives, avoiding the honest truth. I have friends that tell me, Chris, remember, honest is kind. It's a violation of what speech is meant to do. Hypocrisy, insincerity in the original Greek. Inconsistency between what we say and what we do, our lives here and our lives outside the church. Envy, oh Lord. The displeasure at the success, opportunities, or possessions of another and the desire to see those things destroyed, failing to recognize that God is enough and has given you more than enough. We, we see the disastrous consequences of envy every day. Slander, speaking to undermine somebody's character, whether it be gossiping behind their back or insulting them to their face. How many of us have experienced such things in a friend group? The workplace, a ministry, on social media where the community was spoiled. While these sins are very consistent with the way our nation lives today, Peter says that these are actually inconsistent for the community of faith. We are born-again Christians, children of God, sanctified by the Spirit, secured by His grace. We've been chosen in Christ by His love and called to imitate his love. Therefore, what, it would, what would it be like if we lived according to a different standard? If our city was so captivated by our speech, having the best interests of each other, that it drew non-believers into our fellowship? What if the love we experienced in the church was distinctly different from any other place in our lives? Wouldn't that be beautiful. You ask, Chris, how do we get there? Well, Peter tells us how to grow. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The phrase pure spiritual milk, it refers to God's word, the gospel. Peter says to crave it, to long for it, to yearn to go intensely deeper into it so that we may grow deeper in Christ, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Just as the gospel was the means of our rebirth, the gospel is also the means of our nourishment. The word has power. It's how we mature, putting off these sins. We aren't to leave the gospel behind. I, I love to nerd out. I love reformed theology, but I'm supposed to go back to the gospel instead of leaving it behind again and again to the teaching of Jesus because it is only by the good news that we will grow and mature in faith. Notice Peter likens you and me to newborn infants who have a strong desire for milk. Well, well watch the picture of this. He says... As an infant has a strong desire for nourishment because it's an absolute necessity, God's word is not optional for the Christian but essential. As an infant must be properly nourished to grow healthy, so it is with the believer. Therefore, as an infant cries out for food, we're to cry out for the word. As, as an infant yearns for nourishment, you and I are to yearn for the word of God so that we might be strong in faith wise, courageous, joyful, hope-filled, and spirit-led. Thus, here's the question, is this you this morning? Do you long for God's word? Do you hunger to hear his voice? Do you desire to be up 
in the morning with your journal, your coffee, and, and your word, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, having his full attention on you, writing out prayers for your children as you dive into the word? Do, do you love to sing songs from his word, meditating, hearing his word preached? May that be your prayer this morning. L Lord, no, no longer do I want to be characterized by malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. But I actually want to yearn for your word. I want to grow in you, being loved by you. Why? Because I've tasted and seen. I've experienced the goodness of the Lord. Have you tasted his goodness this morning, friends? Have you experienced his kindness? How he wanted you before you ever thought about him. How you were separated from God due to your sin, but, but Jesus gave his own body on a tree so that you all could be one again. How you were his enemy, but Jesus made you his own friend. How he's achieved eternal life and security for you. When you experience this kindness of Jesus for yourself, not only does it make you want to grow deeper in his love, but it changes the way you love those around you. Truly, the greatest compliment I could ever receive is, Chris, I can tell you've been spending time with Jesus because of how you've shown his love to me. Peter says that to love one another, we must long for the gospel to grow us. And as I close, you know how preachers say, I'm getting ready to close. Friends, we are reminded today that God has brought us into his own family as sons and daughters. Through his loving kindness, God has chosen us, purified us, given us new birth and an eternal inheritance. And because of God's love, he cares about how we love others. Since we've been made new, we're to go and show genuine and lasting love towards one another. Love one another. You say, Chris, that's great, but I need a model. I need an example. I need a forerunner, one who went before me and led the way of lasting love. Well, church, I'm glad you asked. Because in John chapter 13, we have been given an example. Shortly before he would go to the cross, he called his disciples together for one last meal. Knowing that his hour had come to return the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He was committed to love despite the cup of suffering he was about to partake of. Remember, this cup was not for his own wrongdoing, but he who knew no sin became sin for you and me. He was born on the backside of a barn in Bethlehem. He lived in humble obedience to the call of God. He healed the leper, raised the dead, gave sight to the blind, restored the broken. But it was there during the supper that he fed the one who would soon betray him, where he took water and a cloth to wash his disciples' feet. This is the model that he left for you and me. And hours later, he would go to that cross, pleading, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The earth quaked and the temple veil was torn. They took him down from the cross and buried him in Joseph's tomb. Friday was a very sad day. Saturday, kids, all hope was lost. But early on Sunday morning, he got up from the grave with all power in his hands. And he has saved you and me by his love. Our security is now in him in eternity through his love.
And through the love of this one, the Lord Jesus, you and I are now empowered to love. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your great love for us expressed in the gospel, how you created us in your image, and we sinned against you, but you loved us enough to give your own son so that we might have life anew, so that we might have eternal life in you. And Jesus, through your love, I ask that you would compel us to love one another sincerely and earnestly through the good times and the tough times. God, I ask that you would encourage us by the rest of our service. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.